Good morning, church. All right. Man, what a great morning. Man, goodness gracious. Give the Lord a hand. Yeah, do that. Absolutely. You got, if you got a Bible with you, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're finishing out the chapter today. 1 Peter. He does not pull punches. Peter just doesn't do that. Peter is a hopeful book, but man, he applies it to all facets of life, doesn't he? First Peter 2, verses 18 through 25. When you get it, say you got it. All right, very good. If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? begin in verse 18. And once we get to verse 25, would you read that aloud with me? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. If you have a pen or a pencil with you, circle that word gracious. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. You can circle that again. A gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, committed no sin, neither was there deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Would you read this along with me? For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. And he just keeps coming at us, doesn't he? Peter. Christmas and birthdays, which mine is coming up very soon. September 16th, that's a Saturday. Most of you might be off. I'll be at home. Um, I'll be at home. I like gifts. My lovely wife is, um, she's right there right there. She can give you a link to my Amazon, <laughs> my Amazon wish list. It's not extensive. It's not, it's not, it's not massive, but I'm, I'm just saying, um, gift cards are cool too. Um, I like, I like gifts. I'm thinking about 10 year old Tim, 10 year old Tim, um, 10 year old Tim. There was like one Holy Grail gift that he wanted when when Christmas was coming around. 
Elder millennials will remember this well. The Super Nintendo. I know, gasps. You, rem you remember this. Your heart stopped for a moment, didn't it? Thinking about all of its 32-bit glory, right? <laughs> if you remember the, the, the Super Nintendo, I'm sure you, can, you couldn't log the hours that you spent on it, I'm sure. I wanted it more than virtually anything else on the planet. Um, you know, Disney World, Pishaw, why would I want that when I can play Donkey Kong Country anytime that I wanted to? Throwing barrels at bad guys. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing the Lord's work here, friends. Super Mario World, it's wonderful. Mortal Kombat, we won't talk about that. I like gifts. I like gifts. Birthday's coming, right? They're, at an early age, though, you learn... Um, there, there are just some gifts that you don't want. Um, Ten-year-old Tim, don't buy me packs of underwear. <laughs> don't do that. I care nothing about underwear. What a weird statement for someone on stage saying now. DMI. That's right. It's helpful now. And socks. I didn't care about socks, tube socks. It, it, no, just get me the, get me the, the, the super Nintendo. That's all I wanted. That's really what I wanted. And then one Christmas, I get it. After ripping through packages and gifts that were wrapped really beautifully, filled with stuff I did not care about at all, like underwear and socks. And put those things on first. I hooked up the Nintendo first. Glory to God in the highest. It was wonderful. There are just some gifts that we get that we don't want, right? Because we're looking for something that's going to satisfy the itch, isn't there? Like, we, we want it. For me, for young Tim, video games are a way for me to escape not a, 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 not a great environment at home. Um, and it was a way for a connection. I could have friends come over and we would hang out and eat really terrible food and play games that mom should have said no to, right? I'm sure that there are ladies in here right now that can empathize with me. If you're, if you're next to your spouse right now, how many of you have received a gift from your spouse that you didn't need, but maybe they wanted instead? You ever been gifted golf clubs? <laughs> Husband's pro-marriage tip. You typically don't want to buy your spouse pots and pans, okay? Don't do that. There are gifts that we get that we just, we don't want, we don't see the utility of. But suffering is one of them. People of resistance, um, the way we've been defining resistance is gentle, um, humble holiness in a really dark world that are passionately and zealously for God's love and God's glory in the world today. They will necessarily suffer. Notice that I didn't say um, maybe. Maybe. 
if we follow Jesus, pain is in order. Like that, that's part of our life. That's what we're called to. Which side note, that necessarily means this pushes back against this idea of spiritual consumerism. Whether we gather here or whether we gather in our homes or when we pray to Jesus or sing songs to him, this pushes back against a very toxic and nefarious, dark idea um, that we can get whatever we want out of God. It pushes back against this idea of spiritual consumerism. Instead, we are gifted and granted not all the riches of the earth, but rather he invites us and calls us to suffer. Does anyone have the butterflies in their tummy yet? No? There's hope in here, though. There's hope in here. Look at verse 18. What does he say? He starts with the word servants. If you're a good Bible student here, you can see how he's addressing a particular class or group of people in the Roman culture. There were all sorts of servants. Some were brought into Roman households because of war. These people were taken from their homeland and then sold in Rome or in surrounding cities. And other people owned other people. It's not a good look. It's wicked and evil. However, there were some that sold themselves into indentured servitude, maybe to pay off debt for a certain amount of years, whatever. What does he say though? He says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Peter likes to use all a lot. You remember last week when we talked about honoring everyone? Peter likes this language in all respects. He goes on to say, regardless if they're kind and gentle or if they're ruthless. But then we're given the why. He says that this is a gracious thing. Remember that word that you just circled a moment ago? For this is a gracious thing. Earlier on, when we, when we went through our confession and assurance time, I quoted Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Grace is a gift. God extends to us the gift of his mercy and forgiveness through the person of Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to earn it, and we don't deserve it. In fact, the very reason why we need forgiveness is because we don't deserve his forgiveness. But he extends it to us anyway. He's saying, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures grief and suffering unjustly. This is to be treasured. How many of you that follow Jesus and love Jesus treasure his grace? I'd venture to guess a lot of you do. However, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures grief and suffering unjustly. We treasure his grace. How many of us treasure hard times that come? I don't want that gift. Like I will, I, that's, that's a gift I'm willing to return very quickly, 
right? When bad stuff comes, it's really easy to run. When it gets hard, I don't want all the entailments that come with following Jesus sometimes. He says, though, that this is for us. Notice that not all conflict and pain is equal as well. Husbands and wives, husbands, if you don't talk and live with your wife in an understanding manner, like Peter says, you might be in the doghouse. And that is good and right. You should be in the doghouse. Serve and love your your spouse. Or if you're fired because you're a jerk to your boss, that is a good and godly thing too. Jesus would say instead, the Sermon on the Mount, we suffer for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness sake. And this is where the gift is. And this is what we treasure. Last year for my birthday, September 16th, if you're writing things down, <laughs> my, my sister-in-law um, pulled some strings and gifted Leisha and I like a really fancy dinner. One of those really fancy dinners you should dress up. And I didn't look at the dress code and I realized I'm severely underdressed for this occasion right now. And it's one of those that have a lot of utensils. I didn't know that you just go in order. I'm just picking and choosing. I've never been to a place that had a tasting menu before. That's crazy. It was fun. It was awesome. I'm never doing it again. But what a cool memory it was, right? Or we treasure it after going through hard times. Women... You know when you're given birth or you're in labor at least, you go on that liquid diet, which is no diet at all. How glorious and great is it when your husband or your friend gives you a Chick-fil-A sandwich right after all of the hard work that you just did? What makes it a treasure isn't the fact that bad stuff is happening to you. It's not that God is praising or elevating bad stuff that's directed your way. Instead, it's about what God is wanting to do in you through bad stuff. And so suffering and shame and sorrow that you experience It isn't God shaking his fist at you from heaven. He's not angry at you. If you are his son or daughter, it's not that you've drawn his ire. He's not ticked off at you when bad stuff comes your way. Instead, he's pointing us forward to the reward to come. Some of us were put in positions that we don't want to be in, just like servants in Peter's own day. They were coaxed, manipulated, or forced into doing things that Jesus commanded them not to do. Sometimes they were called to give sacrifice to idols or even the emperor himself. Jesus would say, no, we have one true God. 
You worship him. We don't bend the knee to anyone else, but we submit fully, finally to Jesus. And when people wouldn't obey, pain would come. All because of something that they didn't deserve. The outcome that comes from suffering and pain can be a glorious thing, a wonderful thing. Do you believe that? The gift that I didn't want as a 10-year-old little boy was the very gift that I needed. The thing that I wanted to use for escape and connection, sometimes the power might go out at our home. That might be because of a storm. It might be because the bill wasn't paid. And when that is stripped away from us, what are we left with? Suffering is still there. What I needed was a gift that could stand fast and actually serve me well. Socks had utility. I I was no longer going to be the stinky kid in class, okay? Okay. When I wore them, it kept my feet warm. God does not love the suffering that we go through. But God works through suffering. That's his MO. That's what he's been doing since the fall. He knew ultimately that in order to bring good about his own son would die in the place of sinners. And so what God wants to do through his son, through suffering, is it possible that God wants to do something good through yours too? What suffering does, it ends up bringing clarity. It ends up pointing us to the one and only thing that can do more than just get us by in this life. The stuff that happened to Tim as a 10-year-old little boy or earlier was not his fault. And the stuff that has happened in your life, though maybe, maybe you can let go from a job, maybe conflict that has happened in your home a time or two before, but not all suffering and evil is a result of you. But God uses it in a clarifying way like a spotlight that starts to narrow in on you and everything else starts to evaporate, all this other peripheral stuff. It shows us how alone we can be and our incredible need for someone to rescue us. And so it brings clarity. But the suffering in your story, it also helps push people forward to greater faithfulness too. God wants to make sense of the suffering in your life by putting his grace on display in your life, especially through suffering. Paul, when he wrote 2 Timothy, this is his last letter to his disciple, his brother, his friend, his son in the faith, writes to him, 2 Timothy 2.10, 
and we suffer for the sake of God's elect. All the terrible stuff, including ending up in a prison, wasn't just for Paul's good and Jesus' glory. It was for their good too. You could read biographies and stories of other brothers and sisters who've been faithful for a very long time in really difficult situations. Or you can hear about brothers and sisters that are alive and well today in Africa or in Asia whose suffering is significantly more difficult than ours is today. People might make jokes about us for following a Jewish guy that raised from the dead, apparently, allegedly, they might say. Or that we trust in a book that's a couple thousand years old and we're not, you know, civilized folk. Y'all, we got brothers and sisters that are all around the world that joyfully give their lives for a carpenter who said, I'm going to build a place for you. Happily and joyfully. Does that not inspire hope and faith in you? Man, that makes me want to march against hell and its gates with water guns in my hand. Some lame version of John Wick. Hearing about the courage and the strength that God gives to other brothers and sisters that go through really hard stuff bolsters faith. And so he's calling us to reconceptualize or rethink about what we think concerning suffering. God is pointing you and drawing you and pulling you closer to him in those moments. And it makes us trust him more. Tim, how is that possible? Look at the rest of the passage. Look at verse 22. Talking about Christ, he committed no sin and there was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He bore our sins in his body. And by his wounds, you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. We talk rightly a lot about Jesus forgiving sin. We also need to remember really well that he calls us to a pattern of life that's based on his grace. In other words, we conform our life to him. The pledge in baptism and the pledge in the Lord's Supper or when we gather together and meet with him is, oh God, make me more like your son. And what a son he is. You get four different pictures of what Jesus is in this passage, right? He's the good son. There was no deceit or falsehood in his mouth. And when other people cursed him, he blessed them. He's the spotless lamb that bore our sins and drank fully and completely the wrath of God. 
How do I know that what's happening to me right now in this moment, when you're in the thick of it, how do I know that this isn't God like drawing arrows and letting them go at me? Because Jesus took the wrath of God for you. He's the good doctor when all others want to just wound you. Jesus wounds to heal you. Jesus is the good shepherd and the overseer of our souls. He leads us back to life with him. Then we have to deal with a question. When will it end? I know if you prayed prayers like that before, God, I just wanted to stop. Those are some of the most gut-wrenching and perhaps honest prayers that we can pray. We have a bunch of pre-programmed responses for suffering and injustice, perhaps unhelpful responses. Well, it's just a matter of God's sovereignty, right? And so we could just let it roll off our back. That cheapens the mercy and grace of God. It's not a biblical view of how to deal with bad stuff that happens in your life, friends. We can champion both the sovereignty and control and almighty power of the creator of the universe and hold in the other hand his mercy and grace extended for you always and forever. But the way the world wants to deal with it too if you believe that there is no such thing as a supernatural world, real evil and real suffering is not a real thing then. There's no objective moral reality or Buddhists are going to say, the reason why you suffer is because you're attached to things and you just need to let things go. True biblical Christianity is the only answer to suffering and evil and pain in, in this life, not in the sense of giving rigorous, logical arguments about why we need to believe in Jesus. But it does answer the question whether or not we can actually trust him. When we trust him, we might actually go to the places that he had to go. And where was that? It's when he gave his life. It's when he suffered on our behalf. The darkest day of human history became the brightest moment for you and me. And so we look to him, we look to Christ and what he did and how he acted and not merely trying to emulate him to get God's grace, but because we've been saved by grace through faith in him, we also receive the grace of suffering as well. They go hand in hand. How do you do that? We look at how he interacted with people. We don't, we don't eat the blame all on our own. you've been abused here today, not today, but in your life, it's not your fault. 
If real injustice and evil has happened in your life, it's not because of you. We live in a fallen world and there are incredibly wicked things that happen in this world. And we don't shift the blame. We don't excuse bad behavior. We don't ignore the pain that it caused. Instead, we run to him who reigns forever and ever and ever. We run to him who purchased new life for us, who forgave sin, who made you holy in his own possession and who comforts you with everlasting steadfast love. How do you deal with suffering? You run to him. We're going to take a moment to pray. A little bit of an extended time of prayer. And a passage like this wants you, it calls to you to be awakened to the fact that suffering is real. And like Tim, duh, like I, I, I know that, right? But to see it as a grace from Jesus. Psalm 130 talks about how David was pulled down to the depths. He was in a pit. And then in just a few short verses later, it talks about how God forgave his sin. When bad stuff comes our way, it exposes our greatest need. What a grace and mercy it is from Jesus to expose our greatest needs. And so we pray to him knowing that we have needs. We don't downplay our deficiencies and failures and flaws and our weakness, but we go to him. We don't shift the blame away from people that have done things to us. But we cry out like Jesus did to his father on the cross. Number two is that Peter is advocating for their hope. Do you see that? Peter over and again is telling them about the living hope that they have in Jesus. In the midst of suffering, he's reminding them, front loads it all the way at the beginning of the passage, bad stuff comes your way, so don't lose heart. He advocates for them. And so use this as a a passage, as a summons too, that calls you to, to, to remember that there are brothers and sisters that go through stuff too and pray on their behalf. Bear one another up. Don't be dismayed or defeated. But number three, Number three, this is for people that have never trusted Jesus before. And you might be here and you're trying to make sense of suffering and evil in the world. And you can't. This isn't a try Jesus out. That's not the invitation that Jesus extends to us. Jesus also doesn't promise to make life painless anymore. But what he does promise is he's going to walk with you until the very end. 
And he promises a day when all sad things will become untrue. So don't lose heart. I would invite you today to trust Jesus and follow him. Let's move into a time of prayer. And we'll respond in song. I'm going to be down here though if you you have prayer concerns or you have questions about the sermon. I want to pray with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the hard word that Peter gives to us. But a needed word. May we be a people that see things rightly and call them what they are. Real evil in the world will one day be met by the justice of Jesus. But not one thing in this life is ever wasted, especially our suffering, and you use it to expose our needs. Jesus, help us run to you and trust you. Make us aware, brothers and sisters, that are going through the stuff right now. Help us pray for them and stand in the gap for them. Bear them up. And I pray for anyone in here today that's just been rolled over and beat up by life and they're just done with it. Jesus, I pray that you would rescue them. Before them, be with them. Would you do this today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.